be number eight, lesson number eight. You should be able to pick that up on your way in. If you have not received uh, some of the other lessons from one through seven, at the close, Janice has those lessons. So if there's some lesson you did not get or you weren't here for, you can pick that up. Now, I encourage you that we have copies, uh, CDs, for you to be able to pick up along with those lessons because it would help you to listen to the CD or the, the sermon along with the, the notes that you receive. But what we want to do, we want to equip you to have everything that you need to be able to put together that whole lesson on the faith life. If you're there in lesson number eight, we'll focus just on a few um, paragraphs of that lesson tonight and finish up with it the next time we're together. Uh, But we're going to talk about the need for endurance. Okay, the, the need for endurance. And the passage that we'll be focusing on primarily more next week is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. The subheading for this and what we'll be focusing on tonight is discovering what we call the pathway of the promise. The reality of the life of faith is that the most challenging thing of it is waiting. It is enduring, persevering, whatever whatever word you choose to use. And you usually have two points in that that you're going to have to endure through. One of those that you're going to have to endure through is that when you have that need in your life, when you have that need, and you're searching for that word from God, you're looking through the Word to find that promise from God, you may have to persevere through that. You may not get that the first time you open your Bibles, or the second time, or or the the first month or second month. I mean, God wants you to search through that Word to find that promise, and and therefore it can take some time. So you have to to persevere through that. If if you're going to be faint-hearted about that, and you're going, well, if I don't get it the first two days and I'm giving up, then more than likely you're not going to get a lot of promises, okay? And you'd say, well, why, why, does the Lord, why does the Lord hold off? Like, Why don't He just tell us immediately what we need to know? Because maybe the Lord wants to teach you a whole lot more things that you don't know, and He teaches you that because you're diligently searching His Word. Did you know a lot of principles and truths that I have reaped from the Word of God? I, I received those because I was actually looking for a promise from God's Word. And as I went through looking for the promise, I, there wasn't a promise in there at that particular passage about what I'm looking for, but God opened up the Word to me. And so the more He can keep us in the Word, imagine this, that He, he sees us when we're looking for a promise, we're diligently looking at the Word. As soon as we get our promise, we quit. If you were God, what would you do? If I was God, I'd say, eh, I think I'm going to hold off a little while, give them that promise, because they sure do get in the Word a lot more when they're looking for that promise than whenever they receive the promise, Right? So you have to endure through that. But that's the first point of endurance. But the second point of perseverance or endurance is that once you've received the promise and God has said, it is yours, it's yours, and here's the word that I give to you, then there is the waiting between when the promise is given and when the promise becomes a reality. When the promise is given and you hold the promise in your hand. 
there's a period of time that's there, and, and that period of time can be, can be different. And we'll talk about that. But there is a need to endure, and we're going to talk about how you endure and the failure to endure, and a lot of truths about that over the next few weeks we'll be focusing on that. But tonight, we're going to introduce to you something called the pathway of the promise. Before we do that, though, I've shared with you each week, I've shared with you a story uh, regarding uh, a faith practice or something God was able to do in our lives or help us to be a part of, of a, a life of faith and discover that life of faith. As a matter of fact, I want you to write this down, if you would. Uh, some of you have, have had that journey of faith. Some of you have had experiences where God's given you a promise, and, um, and God's fulfilled that promise and brought it to, to pass. It could have been a physical issue. It could be a relational issue, salvation issue. It could be a financial issue, so, something that's there. I would really, if you've had those experiences, I would love for you to write those down. Write some of those down and give them to me. I would love to have those. As a matter of fact, if you'd write them down and be willing to share with the group, I'd be glad for you to share with the group. Or if you'd write it down and give me the permission to share with the group, I'd love to share with you some other people's journey in this life of faith. How they received a promise and how they held on to that promise and when that promise became a reality. And so if you, if you would do that, I would certainly appreciate it and just hand that to me or give that to me or let me know that you'd be willing to share it and we'll be happy to let you share because we want, everybody has a chance to have that experience and we want you to be able to share that. Experience I share with you tonight has to do when I was, where I pastored before I came here was in First Baptist Church, Macomb, Mississippi. Whenever we went to Macomb, Mississippi, they'd been without a pastor for some time. One of their biggest challenges they had was, was a financial challenges. They, they were not meeting their budget. They were behind on budget. But along with being behind on budget, they had built a brand new Christian Life Center. And that Christian Life Center cost uh, right about $4 million. It was a beautiful facility, a wonderful facility. But the problem was, is they had gotten a good bit of money when they built it, but uh, it had been there for a year or two and people had stopped giving. And so when we saw it, they were facing financial crisis in their budget, but they were also facing a financial crisis and still owing like, 1.8 million on this on this building, and and so much money going into when you're paying the interest on that, paying it out so much out of the budget. And uh, whenever we were looking at that, I knew that the Lord has was going to want to do something in relationship to that. And, and the verse that the Lord gave me in relationship to it was in Exodus chapter 36. It had to do with the tabernacle. If you remember that story. Uh, the tabernacle was going to be built, and they, they commissioned the people and asked the people if they would to come and give, remember? To be able to come and give. And the people poured out, poured out all the resources they had. And, and it said this in verse 5 of chapter 36. It says, And they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, Let neither man nor woman any longer perform work for the contribution of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. For the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. That's a pretty good experience, amen? Stop bringing all that gold and silver. Stop bringing all those rich. Stop bringing all those contributions. We got more. We don't know what to do with all the stuff we got. Wow. 
How many churches have you heard that announcement from the pulpit? All right. But that's exactly what happened. Now, why, why was that? Because it says that the people had a heart to give. And if they had a heart to give, then God blessed them as they gave. And God multiplied what they gave. And, and it was more than enough that was given. And, and, and so God gave me that word. And, and God promised me that he had sufficient means whereby he could take care of whatever the needs would be, uh, especially regarding that Christian Life Center. And so the Lord uh, gave me a piece about that, and we just began to believe what the Lord's going to do in relationship to it, not really knowing what was going to happen, Till one day a man came into my office. And when that man came into my office, he said that he had been impressed by the Lord to do something. And, of course, this man was a, a man of pretty significant means, he came in and he said, the Lord impressed me to do something. He said, the Lord impressed me to challenge our church to give and that everything our church would give in one year, I will match. I will match it to pay off that Christian Life Center. $1.8 million. So we developed what was called the one-year challenge. The one-year challenge. We presented it. This person was anonymous. Nobody to this day still knows, except me and the financial secretary would know who, who this person was. But they would match whatever we gave each quarter of the year. So we did a one-year challenge. We asked people to give sacrificially for this one year. And when you give, it's going to be multiplied by two. Because for every dollar you give, somebody's going to match that dollar. That's amazing, isn't it? And every quarter, we went along, they had a little thermometer where we went up. And just to make a long story short, in one year's time, $1.8 million was raised. In one year's time, that entire building was paid off. Now, how could that possibly happen? Because the Lord gave the people, not only that person who matched it, He gave on the heart of our people a willingness to contribute, a willingness to give. When all of them were willing to give, there was no problem paying off that $1.8 million. But what was it? It was a fulfillment of a promise. How could I ever imagine that that would ever happen? How could I ever, in my mind, think that somebody's going to come to my office and say, God's impressed upon me to do this, you know? But the Lord's able to do it, amen? And whenever we trust Him, whenever He gives you a promise, when you claim the promise, believe the promise, and watch, and now God's the one who's going to do that work. So that's another example of God's faithfulness. To fulfill his promises. Look at that first two paragraphs of this lesson, and then we'll talk about the pathway of the promise. There is no escaping the fact that a life of faith requires that the person of faith be able to endure. Endurance is necessary because there's always a span of time between when a promise is given and the time that the promise becomes a reality. Sometimes that period of endurance may be short. Stop there for just a minute. When you are early in your journey of faith, when you are young in your walk of faith, I'm here to tell you, God almost instantaneously gives you answers to, your, to His promises. It's just like He just almost, you know, God gives you a promise, the next day it happened. He gives you a promise, by the end of the week it's taking place. Man, I'm telling you what, that's fun. That's fun whenever those answers come that, that quick. But they aren't always that quick. Matter of fact, the longer you walk with Him in faith, sometimes the longer the enduring time might be. Because why? 
He's growing us. He's teaching us. He's developing us. Right? So, so sometimes there may be a short time, but at other times, a person may be required to wait years. Maybe even a lifetime before he or she possesses what was promised. Now listen to this statement. This journey takes place on what I call the pathway of the promise. The pathway of the promise, though unnamed in Scripture, you'll not find that. Don't go to your concordance and I want to look up that, where that pathway of the promise is. Don't go there. It's, it's not named, okay? I, I named it, all right? I named it. But it's unnamed, but it is evident in every person in the Bible who received a promise from God, then journeyed with God until the promise was fulfilled. Okay? So the pathway of the promise begins when? It begins when you receive the promise. And it ends when? It ends when the promise is a reality when you actually hold the promise in your hand. So from the time that the promise is given until the time the promise is fulfilled, that's called the pathway of the promise. Some people might call it the meantime. In the meantime. Well, well, let me even share this. Sometimes that enduring time is a meantime. If you know what I mean, right? Now, now, hold on a second. In the meantime, between when the promise is given and the promise... In the meantime, that's the pathway of the promise. Now, that meantime is, is not a waste of time. You need to write that down. The pathway of the promise between promise given and promise being received is not a waste of time. I promise you. Some people might consider it a waste of time. It is not a waste of time. But rather... It is preparation time. Okay? It, it, is a, it is a preparing of the heart of that person. It's preparing of all the things that have to take place for that promise to be fulfilled. It's, it's a time when, when God is working and moving in so many different ways and so many different lives and hearts. He's doing all of these things that He's working at, but you can't necessarily see it. But it's not a waste of time. Every one of those days, every one of those experiences, every one of those things are preparation for when the promise will be given. Okay? Now, I make a pretty bold statement there when I say that every person who receives a promise, they're going to walk on the pathway of the promise until that promise is received. Or you actually have it in your hand. I make that statement because I have surveyed the Word of God many, many times. And I've also challenged other people who have surveyed the Word of God to show me a time where there's not. There's not a pathway to promise where you don't have to endure, where you don't have to go from promise to fulfillment. It's just not there. There is this pathway that you have to journey on. So get used to it. Amen. Get familiar with it. Don't be surprised by it. And, and, and it's never the same, and the length of it is not always consistent, but it is there. And, and remember, it's not a waste of time. It is what? 
Let me say it again for y'all. You must not, you must not have heard what I said a while ago. Let me, let me help you out. Okay, It's not a waste of time. Hold on, listen, y'all. It's preparation time. Okay, y'all got that? Let's try that one more time. Well, that pathway of the promise is not a waste of time. It is... Man, y'all are smart. Who told y'all that? Y'all are a smart group. Well, I want to show you what I mean, and I'm going to give you an assignment for next week, okay? I want to show you what I mean. I want to take one of the classic stories of the Bible... It's found in, in Genesis chapter 37. You can go ahead and turn there. In Genesis chapter 37, it's the story of Joseph. Not Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, but Joseph of the Old Testament, one of the twelve sons of Israel. And we all love Joseph. Don't, don't y'all know that story well? I mean, what do we remember about Joseph? Man, a coat of many colors, and, and his, he, his father preferred him over others. His brothers were jealous of him, and all that things happened, right? Well, Joseph is a person who's going to be our classic example of this pathway of the promise. Remember, the pathway of the promise begins when the promise is given. So when does that happen? This happens here in Genesis chapter 37. You're introduced to, to Joseph in chapter 37 as being one of the sons of Jacob or Israel. But you find out there's something special about him in verse number 5. See what it says? Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheave rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheave. Now that will make you popular with your brothers, especially when you're the younger brother. And you get to tell him, hey, older brothers, I've got to tell you what, what I had a dream about. We were all sheaves, and, and I stood up, and y'all bowed down. Y'all, y'all bowed down before me. Don't you know that makes you popular? Yeah, really. So they didn't accept that too well. In verse 8, it said, so they hated him even more for his dreams. That's not all. Look at verse 9. Now he had still another dream, and related it to his brothers, and said, lo... I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related to his father and to his brothers. His father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were even more jealous and hated him even more. Now stop there just a second. He had two dreams, two visions. And what are those dreams and visions? Here's what they are. They are a promise from God. They're a promise from God. <laughs> you said, well, he didn't get, they didn't get that in the Bible. Hold on just a second. There was no Bible. Is that, did that inform you all? There, there was no Bible at that time. The, the Bible didn't get written until later. Recorded later, okay? So if he's waiting to get it from the Bible... Going to have a hard time finding it. So if you didn't get it from the Bible, how did you get promise from God? Through dreams and visions. Dreams, and that dream or vision was a word from God. A promise from God. So what was God saying to Joseph? God was saying to Joseph, Joseph, you are one day going to be a ruler. You are going to be a man who is going to be in charge to the point that your brothers are going to literally bow down 
before you. They don't know that yet. You don't know that yet. Nothing. But the promise I make to you is that your brothers are going to bow down before you because you're going to be a ruler. You're going to be a person deserving of that bowing down before. Okay. Pretty good promise, amen? <laughs> Would that excite you? It excites you? I mean, it ought to. You're going to be a ruler. It would excite me just knowing my brothers are going to have to bow down. Amen. You know, I didn't have brothers like I had brother. I guess not. It'd be fun. It's going to be a great promise given. What happens next? Well, what we imagine in our minds is that you get that promise, and then you just have smooth sailing. I mean, it's just, it's just pretty blue water. And it's going to carry you right over there to where the promise is fulfilled. Is that the pathway of the promise? You remember his story? What was his story? Well, his brothers were out watching the sheep. His dad said, hey, you need to go check on your brothers, right? When he goes and checks on the brothers, the brothers see him coming, and they said, here comes that old dreamer. What should we do with him? Well, their first idea was, we ought to just kill him. Let's just kill him. Well, that wouldn't have worked because that wouldn't let God's promise be fulfilled. So they would have really been in danger of trying to kill Joseph. Y'all do catch that, right? Joseph was never in danger. They would be in danger if they were going to try to kill the one who's got to receive the promise. Y'all got that? Okay. Y'all sure you got that? This is Wednesday. Y'all know it's Wednesday? Okay. They, they're, they're, the greatest thing that happened to them is when they said, no, let's not kill him, but let's let, throw him in this pit here. Let's save their lives. They threw him in the pit, and he was in the pit until some slave traders come by in a caravan. They said, well, what we'll do, we'll just sell him into slavery. And they sold him into slavery. Isn't that right? Okay. That's, that's a real smooth step on that pathway of promise. That's like following the yellow brick road, isn't it? Well, I don't know. Dorothy had some pretty big experiences too, didn't she? On wait, wait a minute. His first stop on the pathway of the promise was in a pit. He was in a pit. He was in a pit listening to his brothers negotiate whether or not they're going to kill him or sell him. Now that, that's, 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 that's pretty challenging. That's where the first pathway, first stop on the pathway of the promise. But what happens? They take him, carry him over to Egypt, and they sell him. You remember that? It's all here in your scripture. They sell him to a man named Potiphar. Okay? And he is, everything Joseph does, everything Joseph touches turns to gold, basically. Potiphar put him in charge of his house, and because Joseph was in charge of his house, Everything Potiphar had just was blessed and blessed. The best thing Potiphar ever did is put Joseph in charge of his house. Now, why would that be? You ever thought about that? Why why would that be? Because God equipped Joseph to be an administrator. He equipped Joseph to be a prime minister. He equipped Joseph to rule over all of Egypt to save all of mankind. So, because God put that in him, whatever he ran, whatever he was overseeing was blessed. Because nobody was like him. So Potiphar's house is being blessed. And Potiphar, 
he withheld nothing from him. Joseph tells me he withheld nothing from him except Potiphar's wife. But remember what happened? Potiphar's wife lusted after him, tried to seduce him, and he resisted. And what a great word he gave is, My master's withheld nothing from me except you, and rightfully so, and I'll not sin against my master or against my God to do anything like this. And remember, she tried to grab him, and he escapes, but she has his garment. And then she lies about what he did and said he tried to seduce her. When Potiphar comes in, she lies to Potiphar, and Potiphar takes him out of his house and throws him in the prison. Throws him in the prison. He didn't do one thing wrong. He was, he was totally righteous what he did. I mean, I mean, he's standing up. That's the way you want to resist temptation. He's a perfect example of that. But what did it get him? It got him a time in the prison. Right? Yep. So wait a minute. On this pathway to promise, he goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to the what? To the prison. Man, would you figure that would you figure that's the way you're gonna get to be ruler one day? Would you would you think would you think that hey, I'm telling you what, I'm on my way to being prime minister. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't look like it. But he is. What happens in the prison? He's the smartest of all the guys in the prison. So what does the guy who's captain of the prison do? Put him in charge. He's always in charge. If Joseph had gone to the sandbox as a preschooler, he'd have been ruling all, of, all the other kids. He, it just, that's just him. So he's in charge of the prison. And while he's in charge of that prison, two men had dreams. You remember that? One was the baker, and the other was the cupbearer. And they had these dreams, and, and, and they didn't know what it meant. But Joseph was there, and Joseph said, Well, my God, not him, but my God helps me to interpret those dreams, and I can interpret those dreams for you. And they said, Well, what, what, what's the interpretation of the dream? And the cupbearer tells him about his dream, and, and, and what Joseph said, he said, Well, the answer to that is that you are going to be restored to, to his house, to Pharaoh's house. You're going to be restored. You'll be put back in your position. Wow. That's a good word, amen? So when you get a good word, if you're the baker, said, well, tell me what mine said. Uh-oh. When the baker tells his dream, what did Joseph tell him? You're going to die. You're not going to make it. He probably said, I wish you'd rather not told me that. But what happened? The cupbearer gets restored, and the baker gets put to death. Exactly like Joseph said. Okay? Now, here's an interesting, it's a very interesting point right here. I don't know if you ever picked it up in your study. An interesting thing happens in, in this right here. Whenever he, gets whenever he tells the cupbearer he's going to get restored, then when he, when he says that, he tells the cupbearer something that, that is very important to see his heart. He tells the cupbearer, it's found in chapter 40, verses 14 and 15. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. This is Joseph on his way on the pathway of the promise. Listen. 
He tells the cupbearer when he goes back, when he's going to get restored, he said, Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. Okay, wait a minute, that's not all. Look at 15. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even the here I've done nothing that I should have been put into this dungeon. Hear what he said? Get me out of here. When you get restored to Pharaoh, I mean, tell him about me. You know, I'm the, I'm the one who's a dream interpreter. Tell him I'm bound down here. And get me, out, get me out of here because I don't deserve to be here. That's what he's saying. I don't deserve to be here. I, I was kidnapped and put in here and lied about it. And all the, I'm telling you what, I don't deserve to be here. So, so tell, tell Pharaoh, get me out of here. Well, don't you know the cupbearer is going to immediately tell Pharaoh that? No. He was ADD. <laughs> Couldn't remember anything. At least he didn't remember that. It, it says uh, in verse 23, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Forgot him. Now, why did he do that? Don't you think Joseph deserved to get out? He hadn't done anything wrong. Don't you think he should have gotten out immediately? Sure he should have. We all know that. That would be the right thing. Why in the world did the cupbearer forget him? Well, you know the Bible tells us why. It tells you, it tells you about what happened and what God's doing. Let me show you. Turn to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Psalm 105 is a psalm that tells you about the history of Israel, just in summation, about high points. So when it's telling about that, it tells you about Joseph in that history. Look at verse number 16. And God called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they afflicted his feet with fetters. I want you to underline this phrase, this statement. He himself was laid in irons. When? Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. You hear that? Listen now. After the Lord of the Lord tested him, the king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free, and he made him lord of his house. Now, this is what I want you to see. What happened in the prison was that God's word was testing Joseph. Was testing Joseph. The word of the Lord was testing him. But what Joseph had to come to understand was this. That he couldn't get any closer to God in the palace than he was close to God in the prison. Listen to that. You're not a bit closer to God in the palace than you'll ever be in the prison. Matter of fact, you will not be the man in the palace that you need to be unless you are the right man 
in the prison. So God put him there, and the cupbearer forgot for two years because the word of the Lord was testing him all the while, testing him, trying his heart, making him into the man he needed to be because God needed him to be the right man in the palace. He's got to make him the right man in the prison. But the reason I had you underline that phrase, he himself was laid in irons. Notice how they wrote this. In my translation, he is capitalized. And and it's not the beginning of a sentence, it's actually after a comma. So why would he be capitalized in that particular phrase? Because the psalmist is not saying that Joseph, that Joseph was laid in irons. He's actually saying this, that God himself was laid in irons. Right alongside of Joseph when he's in the fetters. You know what Joseph had to come to understand? That if he's in prison, his God was in prison with him. His God was in prison with him. And how long did it take for him to come to understand that? How long did God have to do that surgery on his heart? At least two years. At least two years. Because we know what? What happens after two years? Pharaoh has a dream. Then Pharaoh has a dream... No one can interpret it until finally that old cupbearer who'd forgotten for two years remembers that there's a, there's a man down there in the prison who has the ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh calls Joseph out of that prison. When he calls Joseph out of that prison, he is a prepared man. God has done what he needs to do in the heart and life of Joseph. And he comes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asks, and and Joseph basically in summation says, I can't interpret dreams, but the God that I serve, he interprets dreams, and I will be able to tell you the interpretation of your dreams. And and remember what he, the the dreams he had, the vision he had, he he interpreted it and told him, said, well, what's going to happen is you're going to have seven years of of abundance, and, and then that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And, and he says what needs to happen is you need to make sure that in those years of abundance that you're collecting and saving and storing up all the resources you need because those seven years of famine are going to be really, really hard. When Pharaoh hears that, Pharaoh says, within this man there's a divine spirit. Well, he's not divine, but the divine spirit was in him, Amen. <laughs> And he says, who's better equipped to be the prime minister? Who's better equipped to oversee this plan? Who's better equipped than you? So what does he do? He takes his signet ring, the ring of authority, representing Pharaoh. He takes the signet ring off and he places it upon the hand of Joseph. And we place it upon the hand of Joseph... He makes him second in command. He is the prime minister. The only one who has power of veto over Joseph is Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh's not going to veto him because Pharaoh knows he's a lot smarter than he is. <laughs> Pharaoh's smart enough to make sure you get the right guy in the right place. That's a smart fellow. Amen? And so you find, hold on a second, you find that he goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison to where? To the palace. He's in the palace. 
But he's a totally different man. All that way, God has prepared him. Now, how, how, do I know, how do I know that he's a different man? Because the Word of God records it. The Word of God records it. You, 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 remember whenever, you remember whenever his brothers at the very end of the story, they're afraid that, that he's gonna, when their father dies, that he's going to show revenge towards them, a vengeance towards them. And you remember what Joseph says to them whenever they ask him about this or say that our dad wants you to protect us. They really, he really didn't say that. He, he said, listen, I'm not in God's place. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He said, you did not send me here, even though you thought you did. But God sent me here. Now, hold on a second. How in the world, how in the world did he go from being in the prison saying, get me out of this place, I don't deserve to be here, to being able to say, you didn't send me here. God sent me here to preserve my people and all the world, all the known world at that time. How did he get? Because the word of the Lord tested him. Where? On the pathway of the promise. Now you, you might say, well, well that's great, and, and that's, that's wonderful, and, and his promise has been fulfilled to God, to Joseph. No, not yet. Not yet, sorry. I've got to show you, I've got to show you one thing that's there. I've got to help you see one thing. In, in chapter 42, in chapter 42, verse 6, you need to underline this. Now Joseph was ruler over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, you need to underline this now, wait a minute, and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. They did not even know who he was. But what was the promise that God had given to him in a dream? Your brothers will bow down before you. That's the end of the pathway of the promise. You see in his life how he begins, how it ends, but all that God's doing. In the same way that God used the pathway to prepare Joseph, he'll use the same pathway to prepare you. He'll do the same thing. Now, I want you to take a little exercise for me, okay? Will you do this? Write down something. I want you to look at Abraham. This is just one example. I'm going to give you some other examples. I want you to look at the life of Abraham. Abraham, when did he receive and what promises did he receive from God? I'll give you a hint. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17. You can look, look in those chapters. It'll help you see what promises God made to Abraham. And then, here's the question. When is the fulfillment of the promises he gives Abraham? Write down, when was it fulfilled? He was given many promises. When was it fulfilled? What, where's the scripture found for that? All right. Now, the life of David, the promise, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. What's the promise that God made to David? And then where is the fulfillment? Where is it recorded? It's going to be over in 2 Samuel, I'll tell you that, first part. And then Moses. What was the promise that God gave to Moses? Found in Exodus chapter 3. 
Exodus chapter 8, he promises something specifically about leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And where is the fulfillment of that? It's found in Exodus chapter 19. And what I want you to do is just journey through those, those stories. And thinking that everyone has the pathway to promise, it, it begins when the promise is given and they journey through and then it's fulfilled when the promise is realized. And so, when was the promise given? When was it fulfilled? And then the fun part is just kind of read in between those passages and find out what they went through. Moses had a vacation, didn't he? Moses had the easiest journey that anybody in the world could ever have. Being the pastor of the Israelites in the wilderness. Everybody wanted to sign up for that job. Oh, not so much. Kathy, you're making face like you don't really believe that. Ah, David, surely David, the man after God's own heart, he's going to be chosen to be king and then rapidly become king. Surely, surely the Bible's got that for David, right? Look at it. And then, if you have a really adventuresome spirit, look over in the New Testament and find somebody, some stories over there where God gave a promise and where it's eventually fulfilled. And the journey takes you to get there. All right? God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.